0: Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve.
1: Thank you, Dennis. Uh, Thank you all for being here today. My name is Kent, and I'm a gratefully recovered sexaholic, sexually sober since October 10th, 2011. And um, let me open with a prayer that is my favorite prayer. Because it's a way for me to live. It's a guide for me to keep me kind of balanced on the day. The prayer is uh, called the Foglight Prayer. I believe it comes from Alaska. So from an AA group up in there. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light. So those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that prayer for the first time, I was like, wow, that is simple. That, what a way to live. That is, that's a way, that's a way for me to live my life. Because if I can keep it simple, if I can be a beacon for God, then, then my life has purpose. Because when I came into the program, my life really did not have purpose anymore. I didn't know why I was even living or why I was continuing to try to struggle with the marriage and the relationship and the business and the family that I had. Uh, The nature of my addiction is using and abandoning boys and men physically, emotionally, and spiritually from the age of eight until I was 53 and came into the doors of Sexaholics Anonymous where I got sober, discovered recovery and accepted a power greater than myself, which I call God. Sometimes I call it Sam, as a matter of fact, a spirit around me, because that was my first conceptualization of of God, was a spirit around me and a spirit within me that would um, allow me to have the ability to, um, you know, love myself, because I couldn't love myself. Uh, my whole, my whole background was, uh, to be different. I know that in the doctor's opinion, he talks about, you know, men and women drink essentially because they like the effects produced by alcohol. You know, I like the effects produced by lust and by sexuality and sensuality, uh, They are restless, irritable, and discontent unless they can again experience a sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. Well, I was more than restless, irritable, and discontent. I didn't realize it until I got in the program, but I was inadequate, unworthy, alone, and afraid. Boy, when I heard that in the program, I said, holy cow, that's exactly who I am inadequate unworthy alone and afraid you know um and anytime that i would resort to lust um i just i had that that feeling like oh my god thank god i've got that over i feel better now but now i even feel worse and as the doctor says in the opinion after they succumb to the desire again and the phenomenon of craving develops they pass through the well-known stages of spree emerging remorseful, the firm resolution not to drink again. I never had a firm resolution not to drink again. I just had a firm resolution not to drink again in my hometown. I just had to make sure I was out of town to do it. You know, I just grew up in a fairly normal middle class, middle American family and church was one of those things that we went to because you go to church and it's a social function I was um, I was a trained musician so I played piano and I sang in the choirs and my father was the choir director and he played the organ at the church and I was in the musicals in, in school and in junior high and in high school and I was in plays and I was in theaters and I was in the choirs and band and all that jazz because that's what we did. But as far as feeling like it was connected with anything, I never felt connected to anything unless I was connecting sexually. But my first sexual recollection was at the age of eight, standing in front of a mirror masturbating. And I was, I was entranced. I was, I was transfixed. I, was, I couldn't get enough of that and it didn't take me long to discover other boys who were also interested and so that was my life that's the way that i led my life and in puberty when my friends were pairing off with girls i was feeling left out it's like holy cow wait a minute something's wrong here and when my father gave me a book to teach me about sex that's how i learned about sex i mean other than the fact that i was already doing it in the neighborhoods um i shared it with neighbor friends and they shared it one of them shared it with his sister who gave it to their mother who gave it to their father who gave it to my parents and i got a, you know a spanking that's just the way that we grew up so uh, you know, it's just kind of a normal childhood, other than the fact that I wasn't getting enough of what I thought I wanted. And for the most part, being the third of three boys, I wasn't getting enough attention. Now, if you'd asked my brothers, they'd have thought that I was spoiled. But if you'd asked me, I'd have told you that I wasn't. I wasn't comfortable. This is repeated over and over again, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there's very little hope of his recovery. Entire psychic change didn't come for me until I got into the program of recovery. My psychic change went the other way. I dug a hole. I was a drill just trying to drive to the core of the earth and, and find an answer. And I was just not, finding any kind of an answer all i was finding was more and more lust and it just kept going through all of my life you know college and um i when i was 15 years old i uh was approached by i was accompanying a a a chorus group and a man approached me and started talking to me and asked if i would accompany his choir and well little did I know that he had other designs and you know what I did too that seemed pretty hey I got attention and I really appreciated that and that started uh, five years in which I kept going back to this gentleman and gentleman I use the word gentleman he was a man he was 16 years my senior and at the age of 18 I just threw a bomb in my family And just told them where they could stick themselves and uh, ran off to a big city on the West Coast with this guy. Blowing up his life, blowing up my life, blowing up everything else that was anything that could have been of value to me. College, you know, um, uh, scholarship to college. um, My friends who I was leaving all behind the girlfriend, quote unquote, that I was dating, quote unquote, who was my minister's daughter. I mean, all of the wreckage of, the, of of what I did in that little town, just because I was pursuing my lust. Well, to me, I was pursuing my life. Little did I know that I was running away from God. I was. I had long since um, given up on any God. Especially any puppet god up in heaven who was supposed to control and make things right. I remember as a uh, kid that I had um, I had prayed at Christmas time. God, you know, bring us world peace. You know, I was nine or ten. Bring me world peace. You know, let's all stop fighting. Can't we all just get along? And uh, it didn't happen. And i that was about the last time that I ever prayed for anything from God. It's just like, this is, this is useless. It doesn't make any sense. And that was the last time I even tried to have any kind of a spiritual experience. So my whole life was spent on disavowing any God or disavowing any real deity or any conscious contact with anything that might help me I didn't really understand that until I got into the program. And uh, one thing that I did, I did connect with that did seem to make sense to me, was a movie that came out when I was nineteen or twenty, and the movie was called Star Wars. And I stood around the corner waiting for this movie, waiting to get in. And when I heard the concept of the Force, I was I was very much enamored with that i thought yeah yeah that's that's what a god is it it's a little bit of everything it's everywhere it, it touches it flows through everything that's what god is to me although i didn't use the word god but yeah that made sense you know there's a, there is a force and that's always stuck with me and that was my first foray when i got into the program of recovery when I approached the program of recovery, all I could think of was, I don't want to go in there. That's a cult, you know? you know, brainwash me into this God stuff. As a high schooler, there were a number of kids around the school yard who would bring these little pamphlets on the end of the world and all these things. We called them Jesus freaks because they were... Uh, you know proselytizing for towards the end of the world and the end of the world is coming and we laughed at them, me and my friends we laughed at them and now I see in reality they they just had one of their that's just one of the ways to God and they were on the right path. I was on the wrong path, and that's okay. they were on the path that was good for them that was not the path that was good for me. Nobody's going to tell me what God is like. And in fact, I feared that in this program. But when I read step three, God, as you understand him, I was like, oh, okay. So it it doesn't have to be the upbringing God that I learned about. It doesn't have to be the God that somebody else talks about. It, It can be whatever God it is. And um, that that eased my mind, and I knew that this is something that I could do. But I worked this program as best I could with my sponsor at the time. There are many parts of the program that I particularly uh, love, but... One of the things that I never understood was the disease that I had. I mean, we all talk about sexual holism and we all talk about, um, you know, we all talk about the fact that we just, we can't not look and things of that nature, but I didn't understand the disease. I didn't didn't comprehend what was going on. You know, I didn't need to figure this stuff out because obviously figuring this stuff out is not one of the 12 steps. But I didn't need, but I did need to, I did need to get it in my soul why I was in the program. And I was sober for about four and a half years before it clicked. What I was missing while I had the fellowship and I was doing service, I got into service very early in this program. And I'm grateful that I did because that helped the whole sobriety stick. And I had a purpose in the program, in the fellowship. But I was missing the one component, and that's recovery. I was was sober, and I was in the fellowship, and I was doing service, but recovery wasn't coming. I didn't understand recovery. That's why I now... I now um, introduce as recovered sexaholic. You know, I'm, I'm recovered, but I'm not cured. I'll never be cured of sexaholism. Uh, I'll always be a sexaholic, but I, but I am recovered of sexaholism. Uh, the hopeless state of mind and body has been lifted. Oh, that's right. That's the whole point here, is if, when I look in the big book, which I did not get into. No sponsor walked me through this. Nobody in the program, they talked about the big book, but and sometimes they read some of them off-quoted quotes from the big book, but nobody did anything with the big book. But when I found a big book study group online, a podcast, and I started listening to it, and then I found the Joe and Charlie stuff, I was, I can't get enough of this. And when I, When they've walked through the forward to the first edition to show, uh, let's see, we have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Oh, that's the purpose of this book. To show other alcoholics or sexaholics or anybody else who wants to uh, base a program of recovery on this book is precisely how we have recovered, is the main purpose of this book. Uh, hello. That's pretty simple. This book has a purpose. It doesn't just have some great quotes in it and some nifty stories. It has a purpose. It has a real impact on my life today. It has a real impact on the lives of people who, who pick up these steps, the first 164 pages plus the doctor's opinion, and apply it. I'm just, I can't get enough of the big book. And I didn't know that for four years in the program. I was sober, uh, but I was still rubbernecking, and I was still, you know, uh, I still found myself stalking in the grocery store from time to time. Whoops, oh, can't do that. Uh, every once in a while, those thoughts would come to my mind, and I would have to let go of those thoughts and um, and make a phone call, and I've got a lot of tools that um, people have set at my fit. My my feet and uh, some of which I've added to the the tool chest and some of which is um, you know they've just grown because it's been well watered and cared for um, and because I've been blessed and uh, nonetheless I use them and that's what I have to do is I have to build this tool chest and one of the parts of my story is my sexaholism Uh, I liked that part in the white book where Roy says that he even crossed gender bounds. Well, I crossed gender bounds too. I always thought it would be interesting to have sex with a woman and uh, I finally did and she and I stayed together. We started cohabitating and having a lot of fun, but I was also having fun outside that relationship. And We eventually got married and what I said to her was, well, we can get married, but we got to move from this college town because uh, I'm, you know, obviously there's just too much going on here. Why don't we pick a place, someplace she knew back close to where she grew up and we'll move back there, which we did. Now, I don't know what was in her mind, but what was in my mind was we'll have a fresh start. The first of many geographic changes and uh i didn't have any concept that i was going to stop acting out outside of the marriage i figured i would just have uh new grazing grounds (laughs) that's exactly what happened and when aids broke out pretty pretty heftily and it was in everybody's headlines all the time she she begged me please don't have sex outside of out of outside of the marriage don't 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 have sex with anybody else. Don't bring something home. And I said, okay, I wouldn't. You know, how many times have we each said, okay, I'm going to change. I'm going to make these changes. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. Just like the outline in the doctor's opinion. And just like the outline in uh, chapter two, you know, there is a solution. And the reality is that didn't stop me. It stopped me from doing anything outside the marriage. Um, didn't stop me from wanting to. Didn't stop me from dreaming about it. But masturbation is a, is a tool I can take with me anywhere, anywhere in my work, which I did, at home while I was supposed to be studying for a professional exam, which I did, uh, at night while my family was asleep, which I did, in the morning before they got up, which I did. I mean, it it didn't stop. Sex outside the marriage stopped, but it didn't stop. Sex inside the marriage didn't stop either. Had plenty of that too. And then we started our own business and I started traveling. And sex outside the marriage came right along with that. Opportunity and and being alone and being hollow. Well, I gotta fill that up. You know what? I am who I am. And twenty years before I got into the program, I know that when I was writing my first step, I, I've kept journals and while I was rereading my journals and 20 years before I got into the program, there was some talk on daytime talk shows about, uh, sex addictions. And I asked myself 20 years, I said, gosh, I wonder if I'm a sex addict. You know, they talk about that, that many times in the big book, many times people have an an idea that there may have a problem long before uh, the real problems develop. And that was me. I didn't even know it. So my life just got worse, even though I kept getting better. So I thought until I finally got to the point that this is not right. This is not right for me. We had a child. We had a son. He grew up in a house. He's a child of a sexaholic. Um, he fortunately or unfortunately I don't know which way you want to call it he got his mother's disease of codependency instead of his father's disease of addiction. I'm grateful that he's not an addict but he grew up in all of this and didn't I didn't enter the program of recovery until he was uh, out of the house and I'm grateful to be in it now but the simple fact is it was chaos and it was hell and it was difficult. And I finally decided this is not who I wanted to be. I love my wife. I love my child. Can I just be divorced and us be, you know, a family, quote unquote, and let me go live my life with one of the guys that I really have a strong feeling for? I mean, that's how insane I was. I just, And that's what drove me into the program. I knew that I needed that to do something other than what I was doing. I couldn't keep living like this. There were a number of times where suicide was very, very upfront in my mind, from youth to about the time I got into the program. There were a number of years where I was virtually suicidal almost every day for several months at a time over a number of years. But it's just like something kept telling me there's something more coming. There's something more coming. And I finally decided I had to do something. And my wife was away caring for her father. And I had been acting out. And the next thing I typed in, instead of acting out partners, was, you know, sex addiction. An essay popped up. You know, it's really, it's one of those God moments. And I... I really cherish the God moments in my life because they've kept me alive. I, uh, God has kept me disease-free. I don't know how or why, but I could have brought home all kinds of mess and infected my wife with them, and I didn't. My wife stayed with me through all these years. Another God moment. Why? I don't know. And so I went to my first essay meeting On a Monday afternoon, arriving late, of course, (laughs) that was okay, I arrived. And they did uh, an initial meeting for a newcomer, which I was very blessed for. And then the next day, my wife came home, and I couldn't get to another meeting. I had several meetings lined up, and I just couldn't tell her. And a week later, I was going to go out on a trip up to uh, Seattle, Washington, which was a big act-out place for me. And I just, I had to tell her because I needed to get to that noon meeting on that Monday again. And I told her I had to go to a meeting and she said, what meeting? And I said, Sexaholics Anonymous. And she looked at me and she said, thank you. Is there something for me? And I said, uh, yes, as a matter of fact, there is. <laughs> and I gave her the website for s and on, And I went up to Seattle and there was a... N- another god moment where there was a meeting 1 mile away from my client every noon and i walked there for 2 weeks to that meeting and it's like wow if i had not been that close to a meeting every day and i'd not been willing willing to go to it every day what would my life be like today i don't even want to speculate. And so I learned willingness, I learned humility, I learned uh, the practice of, of, of the taking the actions, I learned taking the actions of love even though I don't really want to from time to time, and I learned all those those wonderful tools in SA that we learn, especially early in the program if we're willing to shut up and listen. And Today, six and a half years sober, I can say that I am never sufficiently grateful. I am so honored to be um, have so much work to do in the program—from sponsoring to service work to uh, uh, volunteer work on committees, uh, local committees, regional committees, national committees. Just a tremendous, it's a tremendous grace that God has granted to me. uh, And I'm not deserving any more than anybody else. We're all deserving of the grace of God. And it's only through the practice of letting go, the practice of letting God drive, that I'm able to do what I need to do. And I can't do it on my own, and that's one of the key factors of this whole, of this whole program, and if you, if I look at page 26 of Alcoholics Anonymous, that whole story of Roland Hazard, uh, but this man still lives and is a free man. And when I read that, I think of both of boundaries and of his alcoholic obsession. Well, I'm a free man, both of boundaries. I'm not in jail. (laughs) I was headed there. I'm not in jail. And I'm also free of the ism. The ism isn't anymore. The ick is still there. I'm still an ick. I'm a sexaholic. But sexaholism, ism is is not there, that mental state, that mental obsession is not there, as provided I'm willing to follow the principles. He can go anywhere on this earth where other free men may go without disaster, provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. And that's the simple attitude of surrender. And that's where the program came to me was through the understanding that we have recovery and that's what i wanted and it took me uh took me four years to get to the point of understanding that there is such a thing as recovery and that the ism doesn't have to be my guiding driving force in life thank you i really appreciate the opportunity to share today and um, i'll turn it back over to uh, Dennis, thanks very much.
0: I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to the Daily Reprieve by going to donate.